Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, guys. Just trying to figure out how to get comfortable here and mess all this up for them later here. Um, <clears throat> Craig, uh, we're going to miss you and your family. There you are. And uh, Craig mentioned Adam Scott from Australia who won the Masters. Really neat. A great victory. I know you're not all golfers, but I am, so tough. And uh, <clears throat> back in uh, Florida uh, in the about 2007, one of our church members uh, won the Masters. Seriously, Zach Johnson was a Masters champion. And uh, he attended our church. And years ago, I competed in the Masters. And so my joke with, uh, with our congregation was we had the guy that finished first in the Masters and the guy that finished last. So <laughs> but that was really cool, you know. I didn't quite finish last, but I could see it. I could see it from where I was. So, um, hey, we want to be praying for, for Tom, uh, for Iris and their family. They've got a lot going on, a lot of illness not just with Tom's mom, who's, um, you know, he's expecting, uh, he's been told to come home and, you know, they're probably going to say goodbye to her and he'll be home for some unknown amount of time here, not, not a long, long time, but uh, we just need to be praying for the louders and at the end of the service we'll include that in our prayer. Um, so, so Tom left a few days ago and now there's, a, there's kind of an unwritten code among pastors. Once in a while something comes up and someone who's scheduled to speak can't speak, you know, so... You'll ask someone else to fill in. It kind of among pastors, it's kind of this unwritten code where you can't complain. You know, if you're the guy that got called on Thursday night and said, hey, can you preach on, on Sunday? You know, you just, you just do it. You just get up there and you do it like you had it prepared for a month. And, uh, but I'm not a pastor. I'm a golf pro. <laughs> so, so I'm telling you guys, I got the call, you know, like Wednesday afternoon, okay? And, uh, but it, it's, it's okay, I'll, I'll, we'll be fine. But um, this actually is not my worst case scenario. Uh, years ago, I was visiting my sister in South Carolina. I'm from Florida, and I went up, and I was just by myself, didn't have my wife or family with me. My mom was visiting from New York, so we kind of traveled and met in South Carolina. And my sister has a friend who's African-American. And uh, he is a Christian. My wife, uh, my sister, not a Christian, but he was always telling her about his church and how wonderful the church was. And so my sister said, hey, my brother's coming and he does ministry stuff. And so my sister's friend Randy invited us to his church on Sunday. And so we went. And it was great. And it was, a, it was, a, it was an African-American church, you know. And as kind of, I don't know, in America you feel funny how you say, you know, black people, white people, African-American. But African-American church. We were the only white people there, right? And an African-American church is wonderful. There's just, there's a level of energy and worship that's just amazing. And, and uh, so I went, you know, nice and relaxed. And we're, we got there about maybe seven minutes before the service. We're sitting in the pews and people are coming in and ladies had the big hats on. You just love it. The environment's just great, you know. People bring tambourines to church. You know, they go up and down when the worship starts, they join in. And so Randy's the drummer in the band. And Randy comes over to me, they finished a rehearsal, he comes over, he says, hey, our pastor wants you to preach here. <laughs> I was like, it's like, first, my first thought is, you know, she doesn't even, it was a lady too, a lady about 65 years old, right? And uh, my first thought is, she doesn't even know me, well, how does she know my theology or what I might say? And so I said to him, you know, hey, you know, sure, next time I'm coming, I'll, you know, I'll give you a call ahead of time. <laughs> and he said, no, she wants you to speak now, <laughs> you know, it's like, you got to be kidding, right? So, he go, I said, I really can't do it. My hands start sweating, and off he goes. And he comes back, and he says, she really thinks you can do it. She really wants you to preach. This is true, right? So I leave the congregational meeting hall, and I go out the back door, and the choir in their robes, about 15, 20 people in their robes, black, oh, great, 
gray robes with kind of black velvet here, and about 15 or 20 of them, and they're lining up to get ready to come back in the congregational meeting hall and come down the main aisle with worship. And at the back of that line is the pastor, the 65-year-old you know, African-American lady, and I walk over to her, and she said, it's so nice to meet you. Will you please preach today? You know, and I didn't realize it in that moment, but a few moments realized, I realized later she didn't have a message prepared, right? <laughs> so she's, she's hoping for me to, you know, pull off some miracle, you know? So I was like, you know, I really, I don't have anything prepared. I wasn't ready for this. She said, just get up there and talk as long as you can. <laughs> this is true. This really happened to me. So I'm like, okay. So I say, okay. And with that, the band starts the worship music in the main room. The doors swing open and the choir, I can't even do this. It's going to be pathetic. But the choir comes, comes. you know, they're coming in and they're, and they're singing, you know, and they're going... You know, and, and so they come in singing the opening worship song, and the people in the congregation are doing the tambourines, and here comes me in the back, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I wish this story wasn't true, but it's true. <laughs> so I get up there, and they do the worship, and the pastor introduces me, and I'm sitting, and she's sitting over here kind of behind a podium. I'm off to the side, and she's got a commentary, a study book on the book of Ezekiel. And she's reading through this thing. And that's when I realized she didn't have a message, right? So she was glad I showed up. So I got up there, and I just, I was trying to think of a few things to say. And I just thought, you know, one of the core messages, I think, of God's message to us is, is a message of joy and hope. And I just started stammering about joy. And, you know, life can be hard, but God is good. And about a minute into it, this guy about fourth row over here says, amen. You know, and where I came from, people don't yell back at you <laughs> when you're the speaker, right? And it totally shocked me and I like threw me off for a second I was like okay I guess that's okay all right <laughs> and so I started to talk a little bit more someone over here goes that's right pastor you preach it come on you know <laughs> and I started feeling good about it I was kind of like you know and I, I don't know how long I went on for people were yelling from over here and yelling from over there and it's this great message so it wasn't a great message but a great experience <laughs> so 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 anyway, that's kind of a long introduction about nothing, but, but I've had worst case scenarios. Um, so Tom has been doing a series uh, on stewardship, and we looked at me maybe just taking the next part of that series, but Tom's prepared, he's got an interview ready, he'll do a better job with that. Uh, two weeks ago, I did a message on the feasts of Israel, and I know probably a lot of you were here, probably not all of you, um, and you can go online and, and hear that message, because what I'm going to do is just continue that today. And when you read the Old Testament, um, it is amazing in its depth and its richness and its application for our own life. Uh, people who say, boy, the Bible's boring, it doesn't have application for my life, I just, I feel so bad for them because you're missing it, you know. So um, when you look at the Old Testament, there's kind of a framework the way I learned to study it. And I'm going to just lay that out today and we'll talk about it, make some application. But when you read an account in the Old Testament, like these feasts of Israel, you look at them in three ways. The first way is observation. And what that means is you just look at the storyline. You look at the history. You look at the facts and the details of what's been recorded in the scripture. And it's important and useful to do that. But then once you've done that in the Old Testament, so often, most of the time, there's, there's an interpretation that comes with it. And when you look at the interpretation, you look at it and say, how does this account point to the life of Jesus? And when we looked a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, 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 the uh, interpretation of the scripture. 
And we saw how it pointed to Jesus as a Passover lamb, as a sinless sacrifice and all those things. But then there's a third way, and I didn't really do it two weeks ago. It's what we're going to do today with these first two of the seven feasts is application. You know, when God gives us his word, he doesn't give it to us so that we can have a history lesson, but he's trying to speak into our life, right? He's trying to get to the inside of us. So every time you read scripture, you should read it and look at it and say, as a result of this, what am I supposed to do? You know, what do I do with this now that I've read it? And so today we're going to take the Feast of Passover, and we're going to take the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we're going to take the application from it. What that means is we're going to go through the first 13 or 14 verses in the book of Exodus chapter 12. And I'll just walk through those, I'll read them, make a few applications, um, and then uh, you guys can yell amen and all that stuff and we'll be done. So, amen, thank you, thank you. Well done, Johnny, thank you, thank you. Um, preach it, that's right, preach it, come on, come on, preach it. Um, so let me just, for, for those of you who weren't here two weeks ago, just, just in a real brief summary, um, the feasts of Israel are very significant. They're not in the background of the story of the Bible. They're actually front and center. Um, every year, the nation of Israel would celebrate seven different festivals that were specifically done to commemorate important events that God had done in their history. But then they were more than that. They also pointed to the ministry in the life of Christ. But then it's even more than that because it also becomes times where we learn God wants to meet with us. So here's what happened. In Israel, they spent a period of their, their national life in slavery in Egypt, and about 400 years or more. And then they cried out to God. God sent Moses. Moses is their deliverer, and he sets them free to walk in a new life with God. An amazing, amazing account in history of what took place. Um, but it's a deeper story than that because it's my story, and it's your story too. But here's what happened. God, through Moses... The Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, did not want to let Israel go because they were the labor force. They were the slave labor force. And so God sent a series of ten different plagues on Egypt. And each one was more and more severe. And finally got to the tenth plague. I know many of you know the story. And God brought death to the firstborn of every family in Egypt as a judgment against them for holding Israel captive. And God said, once I bring this plague... Pharaoh will let you go and you'll take on a new life with me. But God made a provision for the Israelites. He said, if you will take a lamb that's spotless and blameless and you will sacrifice it and you will take the blood from that animal and you will apply it to the posts of your door, your door frame, when I see that on the night that I send my death angel, see there was a judgment coming, then I will pass over your house. That's why it's called Passover. And I will spare your house from the judgment that's coming. But any house that's not covered by the blood of the sacrificial lamb, death will visit that home. And that's exactly what happened. But then God did this other thing along with that. He said, listen, when this happens, Pharaoh's going to let you go. You need to be ready to go immediately. You're going to make bread, but you're not going to make it the normal way. You're going to make bread without leaven, without yeast. So the bread's not going to have time to rise. It's just going to be flat cracker. That's what you're going to have to eat when you go on this trip. So then in the history of Israel, every year they would remember this. They would celebrate the Passover. They would celebrate by eating unleavened bread for a week. And that was kind of the history of it. Um, the interpretation of it, Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? Jesus is also the unleavened bread because leaven represents sin. That's what we did two weeks ago. Okay, so some of you, I caught you up and others of you are going, 
whoa, way too fast, right? Um, but now what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through it and do the next thing, and that's application. Because what the New Testament says about me is that, um, that I've been a sinner from the day I was born, that I have been enslaved to sin in my life, and that God has sent Jesus to set me free. It's the same picture and story for Egypt, uh, for Israel. Here's what Romans 6, uh, verse 17, 18 says. Paul says, thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you're free from sin, your old master, and you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. So, same story, right? So here's what happens. Exodus chapter 2, I've just said it, now we're going to read it. I'm sorry, Exodus 12, verse 2. Now the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron while they were still in the land of Egypt. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. I just want to stop right there. It's amazing how you can read the Bible and just read one sentence. When you see it the right way, you realize how much God is saying in one simple sentence. Because they, they had a civil calendar. But then in this moment in their history, God gave them a religious calendar. And he said, listen, this, we may be in, in a different part of the calendar year for you. But because what I'm doing right now in your life is brand new, this is to be a new beginning. So this is going to mark a new beginning in your calendar. From now on, this will be the first month of your religious calendar. And that's what God says to me and what he says to you when we come to Christ. He says, everything that has gone on before has passed away. And all things have become new. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, tells us this truth. What this means is that those who have become Christians become new people. They become new persons. They're not the same anymore. For the old life is gone. A new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. The great message of the gospel, the great message of the life of Jesus is the same message that the Israelites got through the Passover lamb. You can begin again. And even better news than that is it's not like a one-time thing. Many of us, many of you have been following Christ a long time, and maybe you're in a place where your mind is in a bad spot. Maybe you're doing stuff you just know is really off. God's mercies aren't new, you know, five years ago. They're new every day. And with, with a confession in our heart, and, and, and we can move forward with God in a brand new walk. His, his mercies are new each morning. God will never get tired of meeting us and cleansing us in our relationship with him. Um, I'm a golfer, obvious. I always come up with golf stories. My wife tells me not to tell golf stories, but I can't help it. Um, I'm going to tell a Disney story later. My wife worked at Disney for 24 years. So um, in golf, there's a thing called the mulligan, okay? Golfers are smiling. I see golfers smiling already. You know what a mulligan is? And golf's hard, right? And you hit a golf ball, and sometimes you hit it in the water, in the trees, or you just lose it, right? Well, a mulligan, if you're playing amongst friends, uh, and you hit a shot and it goes really bad, your friends can go, take a mulligan. What that means is it's a do-over. It's a brand new start to that shot. You hit your first shot on the first hole, trees, over the water, you break somebody's window in the house next door, and your friends say, hey, here's another ball, take a mulligan. It's a brand new start. Golfers love mulligans, right? So I've been in golf ministry in other times of my life, and you run fundraisers where you have golf tournament, but the people pay extra money so that a ministry can be supported financially. So you do different things uh, to, to raise money within that golf event. It's just a fun day. Um, but one of the things that we would do is we would sell mulligans. And they'd be like, okay, you know, we start, okay, you can buy two mulligans, you know, for your round. You know, and we realized everybody was buying two mulligans because a mulligan is such a great deal. 
right? So we just went unlimited mulligans. <laughs> unlimited. People were buying 20 mulligans, 25 mulligans. The ministry was, you know, sending people all over the world, you know. A mulligan is so great for a golfer because even though you've messed everything up, you can start all over. See, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message in Exodus 2, 12, verse 2. From now on, this is a new beginning for you. This is a brand new start. I'm not doing the same thing as before. It's brand new. Stephen, I'm going to sell you a mulligan later if you want it, okay? <laughs> there you go. That's even better. That's the, that's the true mulligan. That's right. That's right. So we're just going to move through Exodus 12 here in the next few minutes. I'm going to read some more. Exodus 12, verses 3 and 4. Now, Moses says, now announce to the whole community that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice. If a family's too small to eat an entire lamb, let them share the lamb with another family in the neighborhood. And then it goes on down in the last sentence. It just reiterates again. Then each family in the community must slaughter its lamb. See, something we have to realize about the Passover is that it was personal. And that each person, it says each family, each person was required to interact with the sacrificial lamb. Each family had to be covered by the blood. And, and of course, the New Testament tells us that all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. The Passover lamb was not something that was just done nationally. It wasn't some kind of, oh, our leaders did this, so now we're covered. God wanted it to be personal. Because for you and I today, it's not enough for our parents to have made a decision to trust Christ or to come from a nation where it's kind of a, I don't know really what this means, quote-unquote Christian nation, but it's personal. You have to make that decision to follow Christ. Your mom and dad can't do it for you. Your child can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. And it's a message that we get from her. Each family, each person had to choose to interact with the blood of the Lamb to be saved. So... We go on uh, to Exodus chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, and it says this, They are to take some of the lamb's blood and smear it on the top and sides of the doorframe of the house where the lamb will be eaten. That evening, everyone must eat roast lamb with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. The meat must never be eaten raw or boiled, roast at all, including the head, legs, and internal organs. This kind of, you know... And you read this stuff in the Old Testament, you just kind of skip it the next time you get to it because you just, well, there's nothing there. Kind of, kind of. But there's actually a lot of depth and richness here. Uh, verse 7, take some of the lamb's blood and smear it on the top and the side. And I just kind of made the point, but, you know, if in that day, if the people had taken the blood from the lamb and left it in a bucket in the backyard and didn't apply it to the doorframe, they would not have been passed over. God's judgment would have fallen on that home and again I just said it but I want to say it again because I have family members and I have friends of mine who have not accepted Christ as Savior and they just in a general sense they think that God's message is I'm going to be okay you know I've heard about Jesus but you, you apply the blood of Christ through faith that he is indeed your Savior and this point is illustrated here all the way back in Exodus so important uh, verse verse 8 and 9 gets a little little fun here uh, that evening, everyone must roast the lamb with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And they were to eat the lamb, the meat of the lamb, with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And so the bitter herbs represent something. 
It represents the fact that a life of following Christ, while it's rewarding and wonderful, there's also sacrifice and challenge to it. Um, to eat the bread along with that made without yeast. Yeast was a symbol of sin. We talked more about that two weeks ago. God is saying, when you choose to apply the blood of the lamb, you then have to partake of the life of the lamb. You have to partake, the next verse, of the mind. It said the head and the legs and the internal organs. Well, there's something to learn there. New Testament says we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. We're supposed to walk as Christ walked. And we're supposed to partake of the inner character of who he is. And so this picture of these people so specifically being told by God how to consume this lamb is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. Have the mind of Christ, the walk of Christ, to take on the inner nature and character of who he is. See how, see how rich and, and deep that is? It's really beautiful. I think it is. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, 21 and following says this. Since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus, throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life. He's saying, get out of Egypt, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's righteousness, likeness, righteous, holy, and true. It's all there. It's in the book of Exodus chapter 12. Then go deep in your walk with God. Jesus, his language is so soaked with the language of the Old Testament that we don't even see it. It's amazing. Jesus, probably the most difficult teaching Jesus taught was toward the end of, in the Gospel of John chapter 6, toward the end. He had a massive crowd following him. And at the end of this teaching, everybody left. Everybody walked away. They said, this teaching is too hard, we don't understand it, and they left. Even his disciples, the closest ones, were confused. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 53. He said, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them at the last day. Picture him saying this to a crowd of people. For my flesh is the true food. And my blood is the true drink. All who eat my flesh and drink my blood remain in me, and I in them. I live by the power of the living Father who sent me. Um, I am the way. And those who partake of me, those who partake of me will live because of me. Jesus was using the language of the Passover lamb, saying to consume me. You know, but it confused the people in that moment. But that's what he's talking about. Exodus 12, verse 11 goes on. Um, this is probably the, the, the freshest insight for me and challenge to me. Um, he says this, wear your traveling clothes as you eat this meal. This is Moses as they're preparing to leave Egypt. Wear your traveling clothes as you eat this meal as though prepared for a long journey. Wear your sandals and carry your walking sticks in your hands. Eat the food quickly for this is the Lord's Passover. There's a great lesson here. God is saying, listen, when you come into faith with Christ, don't linger in Egypt. Don't linger in a life of sin any longer. But get out of it. Flee out of it. You know, a great old saying is that it took one night for God to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Right? You know, you know what God's doing in my life 25 years into following Jesus? He's, he's getting more of the life of Egypt out of me. Every season of my life, I'm aware of more of 
Egypt that's still in me, more of the sin that's still in me. But God's faithful, you know, and he's going to complete this work. So wherever you're at, if you're walking strong with Christ, fantastic. If you've stumbled and fallen so far that you're amazed you're even standing here or sitting here in church today, fantastic. I'm glad you're here, right? Start today. God's right here ready to walk with you. Make haste. In the New Testament, Paul's writing to a young Christian, Timothy. He says, Timothy, you belong to God, so run from all these evil things. Later on, he says again, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Follow anything that makes you do what's right. That word run, it means flee. It means take flight, escape, run away. When Israel was leaving Egypt on that night, God was saying, be ready to leave and leave immediately. Don't look back. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, I love the Old Testament. You know, I was going to say this at the end. I'll say it now. Um, Jesus was the most amazing storyteller that ever walked the earth. Jesus was the most charismatic and interesting, no doubt funny, you know, appropriately amazing teacher and insight and compassion. Jesus told stories, didn't he? Jesus could teach the Old Testament, and of course he did that. But Jesus drew crowds because of his storytelling. But it wasn't just stories. It was stories that taught deeper truth, right? You know where Jesus got his style from? He got it from his dad. Right? The Old Testament is Israel's history led by God, inspired and written down by the Holy, Holy Spirit in ways that it becomes parables. I don't mean untrue. It's history. But it becomes stories with deeper meanings that we can sit here in Beijing in 2013 and go, this is relevant to my life. This changes my life. The greatest storytellers, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we all love stories, don't we? He's a great storyteller. This last part, Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, um, point's already been made, but let's, let's wrap it up here. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn sons and firstborn male animals in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. The blood you have smeared on your doorposts will serve as a sign. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the feasts of Israel were never meant to be history lessons. For you and I. The feasts are meant to be places that God wants to meet you specifically. He wants to meet you at Passover. He wants to meet you in your salvation experience. He wants to meet you in the Feast of Unleavened Bread where he works a process in you where the sin is removed from your life. Why? So that we can walk with peace and joy and we can reflect him to other people. Right? There's a purpose to it. Um, So... Uh, my wife and I lived in Orlando for a long time. My wife worked at Disney for 24 years. And uh, when you live in Orlando, uh, you steer clear of the Disney area um, because tourists are really bad drivers. Tourists are lost half the time, right? So they're looking at their phone app. They're swerving back and forth. And if they're not doing that, they're just doing something dumb. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, most all of us have been to Orlando, so I'm not specifically calling you dumb, but Residents of Orlando steer clear. See, God just got me. There we go. (laughs) Residents of Orlando steer clear of Disney because the traffic's always so bad. I was down there one time, and there was a whole family stopped their car on the road, and they got out, 
mom, three kids, dad, left the car on the road, got out, and they were taking pictures of a sign that said Disney World. They weren't even at Disney World. They would just stop traffic, and they were taking a sign. Not exactly that sign, but a sign like that, right? Standing in the bushes, you know, like this. And what would you think of a family that got their plane tickets, packed their suitcases, spent the money, bought the hotel, got to Orlando, got the rental car, drove to the sign at Disney, got out, took pictures, got back in the car, drove to the airport, went home. Right? We'd say, boy, they are, they've lost it. Right? You don't stop at the sign. The sign indicates that there's an experience if you'll continue in. Right? See, God is saying there's an experience in the feasts of Israel that he has for me, that he has for you. Don't stop at the sign. To me, someone who stops at the sign is someone that reads the Bible once and says, I read the Bible once. I thought it was pretty good. Most of it, a little confusing in some parts, a little boring in others. You know, I've read the Bible in, in 25 years of being a follower of Christ. I've read the Bible through from cover to cover every other year, plus too much to count in terms of individual study of books and stuff like that. I still get something valuable and new every time. Uh, it's that amazing. So don't stop at the sign. God's pointing to an experience. And that's why we walk this planet, to walk an experience with God. Um, so that's what I had to tell you this morning. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to, I think we're going to have another worship song. Um, and uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to pray for the louders, and I'll pray over all of us. And, and then we'll just let the worship team uh, lead us in worship. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, this morning. And thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your grace. God, I need your grace. Thank you. God, even in this moment, I receive your grace. If that's, if that's the prayer of your heart in this moment, you can just pray along with me. God, we need your grace today. We try to follow you imperfectly, but we pray for a renewing of your spirit in our hearts this morning. God, thank you for including us in the adventure of a walk with you. God, may we be a mighty vessel in your hands, each one of us and as a community of believers to make your name famous, to find those who are lost and point them to you. God, we pray especially for the Louder family this morning as Tom is already home. I pray you'd bless his time with his mom. I pray that they'd have some good interaction. I pray you'd be with his family as they uh, prepare for her passing. Uh, it appears to be. And we thank you that she knows where she's going and she's at peace. I pray for Iris with her travels and all the details of their family, God, beyond just Tom's mom, but, but other illnesses, we pray for healings. And we pray a special blessing over our pastor and his wife uh, in this season and time of their life. We pray all this in Jesus' name.